Ezekiel 36, 22 to 30. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you, through, through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and make you follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. So here we are in the season of Pentecost, our second week. And we're using a variety of texts, both from the Old Testament and New Testament, to focus on the reality that we're in this season, so Pentecost begins seven Sundays after Easter, and you remember the disciples in the upper room, and they're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were told that by Jesus, and then Acts chapter 2 tells us of the marvelous story of the Spirit's coming, and we will look at that in that text in future weeks. But the <laughs> mentioning and talk of the Holy Spirit doesn't just begin in the New Testament, it's also there for us. Uh, in the Old Testament. And so this is a marvelous text from the book of um, Ezekiel. So we're going to begin with a map. I don't know how that shows from back here, but not bad. Um, so you see the Mediterranean Sea there on the left, right? And the, the edge of the water on the right-hand side of the Mediterranean, that was Israel. And you remember the story, of course, of Israel's disobedience. They are sent into exile. And exile is to the right, what's called there the New Babylonian Empire. So they are shifted out of their land uh, hundreds of miles, probably a thousand miles, to the right into the uh, Babylonian Empire. And... This was devastating to the nation of Israel. Everything, and still actually, there's, there's so much discussion about the land in Israel and in modern Israel, the same today as it was in Jesus' day. Israel is a small country surrounded by many nations, and it's a, it's a prized territory because it's right on the coast of the Mediterranean. There's parts of it that grow abundant crops, 
There's water in the Judean hills, so it's, it's a sought-after territory, and people continue to fight over it. And there's pressure on Israel as a nation to just exist because of all these threats. It's similar today as it was then. Because of their disobedience, they are removed from the land altogether, and they're gone for 70 years, all right? So 70 years is almost two generations. 40 years is considered a generation in the biblical era. So almost two generations, they are gone. They are out. So their children have never been in Israel. It's just a story. They've been, they're raised in Babylon. They're raised in another country, another language. Another culture altogether. And so it's there that the prophet Ezekiel, who we're looking at today, actually speaks. So if you look at Ezekiel 1, you'll see that he, his location is Babylon, and he's actually a priest. And of course, this is one of the big things, too, is they're away from the temple. They're away from their holy site. They're in Babylon. Ezekiel speaking as a priest of God. And he speaks this message of hope that we're going to look at, a message looking for the Spirit of God to work again in their people and that they will be returned to the land. So this is hugely significant for the people of God. And the question, of course, is will they believe it? A lot of them have settled in pretty nicely. Some of them are doing quite well in Babylon. In fact, they're encouraged to hang in there and do well. But a bunch of them have done well, and they're not in any particular rush to go back. If they go back, what are they going back to? It's a country that's been razed. Jerusalem itself had been razed. The temple had been destroyed. So they don't know what they're going back to, so a lot of them don't want to go. But it's still spoken as a word of hope and a work of the Spirit in a new way. So God's Spirit doesn't change. God does not change. We looked at that text in, in Hebrews. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. Christ as the word of God, the Logos, does not change. The Spirit does not change. And so the Spirit continues to speak, and he speaks and offers to us a new word of hope as well. A word of new beginnings. And of course, we can be so stuck that we don't think there's any possibility of a new beginning. And you might just say, man, you don't know my life. You don't know the rut that I'm in. To crawl out of that is a huge thing. But the Spirit of God speaks about moving and offering new beginnings to us as we look to Him. So that's the story. That's where we're going. So we'll begin with a, an opening text, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, interesting, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will sanctify my great name, which is being profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. When through you I display my holiness before their eyes, and here we go, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. That's the hope. 
Let's talk about that. They're going to be returned to the land. So what do we see? Well, God acts, one, because of his great name. Israel hasn't done that well. They haven't done that well. It's some understandable to some degree. It's a whole new culture. They don't have the temple. They don't have the whole system. And they're floundering. And they've been floundering for years and years now. And God looks at them and he sees that. And he says, well, I'm going to act here because of my great name. I'm not going to base my acting because you've done so well in Babylon. I'm going to do it based on my great name. Great name, name for anybody in that culture was the, the characteristics of the person. So God's characteristics of, of mercy and love and kindness and faithfulness, particularly faithfulness, that I'm faithful to you as a nation, even though you've screwed up big time. And so God is faithful to us, even when we mess up. So God says, I'm going to act because of my name. I love this statement from Malachi 1, verse 11. Listen to this. For from the rising of the sun to, this, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations. And in every place incense is offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. That's an interesting statement. God says, way back in Babylon, he looks over the whole earth and he says, from the rising of the sun, my name is great among the nations. In every place incense is offered. We don't get all that. We don't get it. God gets it. He knows it. We don't get it. Because we often get stuck in our, in our own system. We get stuck in our system. And God says, hey, I see faith, and I, fe I see faith all over the world in a way that you don't. That's remarkable. We don't get it all. Years ago, I, I had a chance to be with CBM and was teaching in India. And I was in this city, it was a city of about four million people, and they had shrines, little shrines, all over the place. And I remember going by one time, and there was a woman with her baby going up to this small shrine. It's like a, a little house, decorated. And she went up, and she was saying her prayers with her baby before the shrine. Was not Christian. She was acting somehow in her heart before God in some way, in a way that I didn't totally get at all. But she was there doing that. And that's just one tiny little example, a country of a billion people, right? We don't get all that. But maybe God gets something in that. Maybe he sees something that we don't see. Is that possible? I, in every place, incense is offered to my name in a pure offering. Malachi was the last prophet that spoke before the New Testament. The last one. He sees something, and he says a word, and a word they didn't get, and we don't get it either. But God does his great work, and he, and he does this because of his name, Malachi says, and Ezekiel said it earlier. God's name has been profaned by Israel's idolatry, meaning taking up the gods of the other nations. 
Israel had a tough time. They, they admired. They wanted to fit in. Don't you want to fit in at times? You want to fit in. And because you want to fit in, you kind of do what others are doing around you to some degree. You don't want to be weird. You don't want to be looked at differently. So you kind of do that. But if you take that too far, then you can take up the idols, if you like, of whatever's going on. And Israel was doing that. They were always taking up the gods of the Canaanites. And God sees that. And so he says, I'm not acting because of you. I'm acting because of my great name. And of course, we have our own idols too. We don't call them idols. We don't have idols in the corner of our houses set up. But we can have idols. We live in a very narcissistic culture, a self-centered culture, and we are self-centered too. You can, money can be in our idol. You know, how big our bank account is or how popular I am. How good I'm at sports. Whatever, whatever. I don't know. We have idols, that's for sure, and God knows them just as much as he knew way back when. God says, I will, I will act and I will cleanse you. We'll see that. And the act of restoration is returning to their land. This is the big thing. God, Yahweh, was seen, all the gods in the day were seen as local gods. Canaanites had their gods. Israel has their god. Their god's named Yahweh. Other gods named Molech or whatever. So other nations saw God as a local god. This action was going to show them that God is bigger than a local God. Because he's going to free them from Babylon and bring them to their own land. This is huge. This wasn't being done. And the point of it is so that other nations will see that God is not simply a local God. He is Yahweh, God of the earth. Malachi statement. God's great name, God for you, God for me. I will act for my name. You have profaned my name. Unfortunately, we can profane God's name. How do we do that? Well, if we act in such a way that it brings discredit to God then we're profaning God's name. Unfortunately, we hear about it. We hear about it in the paper. We hear about, I don't know, people who act out. And the news picks up on it. Who's discredited? Well, the individual, for sure. But it can also be God's name. We don't want to do that, right? We really don't want to do that. Discredit God's name. So that was going on. But God will do, God will work, God will act in an amazing way that other people will say, hey, wow. I mean, you know, we've been working on this property next door for how many years? I don't know, John, how many? It's got to be like almost 20 years. It's a long time. But we're hoping something will amazingly emerge that will give glory to God's name 
and amazing things will flow out of that to honor his great name. So the text begins there. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. Note, I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. Now we're getting to the main point. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. So here we are in Pentecost and we look at a covenantal homecoming. God is going to perform a heart transplant. You are going to receive a new heart, he says to the people of God. We live in a day of implants, don't we? We can actually do a physical heart transplant. That's pretty amazing. I don't know if anybody here has a heart like that. We do dental implants. Some of you have those, I know. Dental <laughs> implant. God does implants or new body parts. Like, wow, we're, you know, we've come a long way in 3,000 years, right? Medicine, amazing. Heart transplant. First, of course, the people are cleansed. And they're cleansed by the sprinkling of water, which in some way, I think, presages baptism. Christian baptism. We are cleansed by the Holy Spirit. We go under the water, old creatures, we come up, new creatures. The Bible says, Paul says that in Romans 6, 1 to 4. A transformation takes place. How does a transformation take place? Well, it doesn't happen by the water. The transformation takes place by the energy of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's it. And so we look at that. Here we go. A new heart. Heart, in Hebrew, speaks for the mind, the will, and the emotions. All of that is your heart in Hebrew. See, we talk a whole lot more today about mind, our mind. It's our mind that controls things, right? In Hebrew, they didn't use that language. It was heart. In your heart is your mind, thinking, is your will, volition, and your emotions, how you're feeling, the whole thing. So it's the seat of the personality, your most inmost being. I have a little quote here. Somebody has written, an awakened heart is a genuine, genuinely receptive disposition, an inner core which is spiritually alive. That's a new heart. A genuinely receptive disposition, an inner core, which is spiritually alive. It's responding to God like this, as we say, and not like this. It's being receptive to what God has. So that's the new heart. Ezekiel says, I'm going to give you as a people a new heart, mind, will, emotions that looks to God. And here we go, spirit, I will give my spirit within you, he says. My spirit. And the spirit is the human impulse. That's it. The spirit takes your mind, your will, and your emotion and enables you to make the move. The impulse. The impulse to act. Ezekiel says that's the spirit within you. 
When you choose, when you are a chooser and not a non-chooser, and you choose for God, whatever that might be, your mind can be wherever, blah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. And now it comes down to what are you going to do? It's in the doing. That's the quickening. That's the impulse. That's the Spirit's work. God regulates our desires, our thoughts. He moves within us. So when we say yes and act, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. That's what Ezekiel is saying. That's how they thought. My heart and now my action. I remember when I was at Humber College, I may have probably told, I've told all these stories somewhere along the line, but anyway, I was at Humber College and I went to a party in my first year in music program, Christmas time. And I go to this party and I'm seated and I, a whole bunch of people are around. I don't, for whatever reason, they're standing around. I'm seated. And they're, they're passing a joint around, all right? Everybody's smoking the joint. Not making a big deal about it, but that's what they were doing. And my teacher, who knew me from a bunch of years, was standing right before me. And they passed me the joint. And I, I, I see the joint, and I look up and see my teacher, Peter Harris, <laughs> and he's looking at me. He wants to know, Alan, are you going to take that joint? I knew he was thinking about that. I've known you for a bunch of years. What are you going to do right here? So I just said, no, I don't think so. I don't want that. And they, they didn't care. They just passed the joint around and they kept going. Now, I'm not, that's, you know, all I'm saying is there's an impulse there. That, that, there's a moment where you act, where you choose. And you can say yes or you can say no. If I had said yes, that probably wouldn't have changed my life in any big way. I don't know. I, would have, I wasn't really interested in any of that. But I didn't. But that, I just remember that story. No, I don't think so. They didn't care. God's spirit within us. That movement. And so here we have a little chart. You have the old heart, which is stone. The new heart here is flesh. And by the way, this is not the language of Paul. Paul talks about the heart of flesh, and it's like it's a negative thing, right? It's flesh, the flesh out there. Here, it's just the opposite of stone. Flesh, it just means it's your real heart. It's soft, it's warm, that's your heart. It can be stubborn, or it can be from God, receptive. It can be rebellious, soft, insensitive, responsive. I will give you a new heart that is an awakened heart that says yes to God. Wouldn't we want that? I think we'd want that. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to live in a way where we're actually really responsive and receptive to the Spirit of God through our day, just kind of naturally, just like, yeah, like that's, that's just we're being in tune, right? That's where we want to be. A new heart, God's Spirit quickening in us. Ezekiel says he will do that. Spirit of God in your life and my life, leading us, guiding us. That's the season of Pentecost. God's work in our lives. 
Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel has a new album out. And it's a different kind of album. It's his 15th album. He's 81 years old right now, 81. And it's a, he woke up in the middle of the night and he had an idea of, I think it's seven psalms. And so, I think that's the title, but it has seven movements. It's one song, 33 minutes long. That's his album. But it's interesting, he's not, he says, I'm not a preacher, but he's a mystic. This, this, song, this album is his mystic album. And he's Jewish, that's his heritage. But it's interesting, he says, I'm not a preacher, and I haven't really made up my mind, but where I'm actually really leaning is Christianity. That, that, that makes more sense. You don't have to read it, but he's basically saying that makes more sense to me than anything else. Hope. Hmm. Paul Simon, such an amazing songwriter. I wrote fabulous songs. Still writing them. And when I read that, I thought, well, man, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. That's where his heart is leaning. So the, the spirit, is, you know, works in our lives, works in his life. Where all that will end, you know, I don't know. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors here, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the great hope. John uses the same language in Revelation. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. The new heavens and the new earth. I will save you from all your uncleanlinesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field abundant so that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Israel was susceptible to famine. So it's a new creation. And the new creation is fundamentally driven by this statement, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the great hope. Imagine the planet Earth where everybody was saying, you are my God and I will be your people and I will really follow you and know you and love you. So the covenant is fully renewed here. And God's blessing on the land, the harvests, this is the sign of his abundance. So many of the fields in Bolivia, they're, they're, they're driven, there's no water agriculture for irrigation many of the places. It's totally dependent on rain. So it's one crop a year. Does the rain come or not? If we get the rain, we get a harvest. If we don't get the rain, times are tough, really tough. So they're dependent. They lean. And they, of course, they have all kinds of actions to, you know, bring the earth, help us get water. But there's reason for it. God's blessing on the land. And then that, the big sign is Ezekiel 37, resurrection. Here we go with this. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, which is spirit, and breathe upon me, spirit, upon these slain that they may live. And I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. In Lima, there's a, there's a monastery, and in the crypt down at the bottom, there are thousands and thousands of bones, thousands of skulls, thousands of arms. They have them all organized. 
crates, big, huge crates. Skulls go here, legs go here, so on. And on the wall, they have this verse and also the statement from John, I am the resurrection and the life. And the statement is, we're waiting, man. The bones are waiting. Waiting to be renewed, to be resurrected. This is the amazing hope Ezekiel even sought in his own way 600 years before Christ. Breathe. And new life. My parents are in the grave just up the street. St. Philip's Anglican. They're right in there, man. Two of them right there. Boom, boom. Right beside each other. And I'm thinking yesterday, well, you know, there's going to be a day when, man, whoo! Mom and dad are there again, these two little Irish people. They're already with the Lord in their spirit, but that, that, this is our great hope. No other tradition has such a hope. None. If you want hope, this is hope. Jesus Christ is hope. The same yesterday and today and forever. Hope. You can't get more hope than this. How could this story be any better? You are going to live forever because of Christ. Because simply you have opened your hands and received his gift of life by grace. That's it. You don't have to do a million rules. Just live open. That's it. And the Spirit will take the rest. He'll lead, he'll guide. But you got to be open. i got to be open. Really open. Keep being open. That's it. And eternal life. When this earth is long gone, when the sun is burned out, <laughs> we're just starting, man. Infinity. We can't even, get, you know, obviously we can't grasp that but it's it's eternal life god will be our god and we will be his people you cannot get better than that why we mess around so much with all these other little things when this is staring us in the face are we so lost in the moment that we can't step back and say hey that is amazing and maybe i should receive that and whether I take this little puff of a drug, whatever else it might be, it doesn't really compare to that. But we are so distracted, so attached to all kinds of things. I, I speak to myself. And we lose sense of this great hope in Jesus. And what does Jesus have to do? What does he have to do to get our attention? Darlene was saying, Jesus is there. We knock, he opens the door. That's pretty easy. Open the door. We won't open the door. Totally stuck. We need the Spirit's work in our lives. Man, we need it. Newness only comes from God. That's it. Newness comes from him. It doesn't come from you at the beginning of your journaling and listing all your priorities and your strategies. That's what I'm going to do. That's fine. I do that. But the newness comes from God. You can plan till the end, you know, till the earth goes away. Newness comes from Him. 
Our job is to say yes. Say yes. Keep saying yes. And God's freedom, that's our hope. See what I mean? God's freedom to act, that is where our hope is. We get stuck. God acts. You look at Luke 18, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I just finished with that. Who's the good guy in this story? It's the Pharisee. The Pharisee is known all over town. He wears gowns. Everybody calls him teacher in the street. He's well-respected. He's a good guy. The tax collector, everybody hates the tax collector because the tax collector is taking advantage of the country and is sucking up to the Romans. Everybody hates this guy. And you know the story. The Pharisees praying and saying, God, I thank you. I'm so good, blah, blah, blah. I'm not like that guy. No way am I like him. I thank you that I'm me and not him. And the guy over here he says, Lord, he can't even lift his eyes. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Now, anybody looking at that, anybody would say, the Pharisee's the good guy, the tax collector is the sinner. But we know the story. <laughs> it's totally the opposite, right? The good guy is the tax collector, even though he's ripping people off. In his heart, he says this word. And when this guy over here says, I th I'm, not, I'm happy I'm not him, he already has just received his reward. He gets the people's applause in the moment, and that's his, that's his reward. Why do I say that? Because God's freedom is God's freedom to act. God breaks all the rules. You couldn't break a rule more than what God was doing in that story. God's new possibility. But we can become entrenched in our own rules and we forget that God is possible to act in new ways. God is not in a box. And what we need to do is keep trusting in God, the God of new possibilities. New possibilities for you. Your life, possibilities you can't even think of. You think, man, I, I, my life's over, I'm stuck, that's it, that's it, man. No. God's Spirit can do new things. And often things are bubbling up way down here in your life right now, and you don't even know it, and they sprinkle up and they come to fruition two or three years later. They're already there. They're already bubbling up. We don't see it. But God sees it. New possibilities. New possibility for our church. God's work. Another hundred years. We don't know what's all going to happen in a hundred years. Not a clue. God knows. Things bubble up. So, Pentecost. God's work in your life, my life, to say yes to him, receptive to him, that is our invitation. May we say yes. May we say yes. May you say yes. Open the door to God. Open the door to Jesus. 
Open the door to the Holy Spirit. Do it this week. See what starts to happen. I pray that we'll do that because it's in the doing. That's where the Spirit energizes. It's that act. It's that step. May we hear, may we say yes in Jesus' name. Amen.